Welcome to Grow Your Influence Tree with your host, Leonard Kim. This is the show especially for those that want to be among the top influencers of the world. We'll help you build your brand, tell the most compelling story, build your reputation and grow your audience, and attract the top clients and customers. Listen to the experts. Think like they do, and you'll be on your way. Now, here's Leonard Kim. Hey everyone, Larry Kim here and thank you for tuning in for another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. Today we'll be discussing, uh, do people even actually sell anymore? Uh, what we have today is a special guest, his name is Mario McCracken and he's uh, really gone out there and does a lot of stuff. Right now he's uh, currently the revenue leader over at a company called Move Medical. And he leads sales, marketing, customer service, and all these other efforts. And, you know, he's just like any other person who loves family, reading, food, travel, and sports. Uh, The interesting thing about him is he started out his uh, journey from Boise, Idaho. Then he traveled all around the world. And now he's... uh, uh, Where are you living now, Mario? Back to Eagle, Idaho. So, made the round trip. Awesome. So you went all the way around the world and made it right back to where you started. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Tell, tell us a little bit about that journey, uh, traveling all around. Well, I, I was always interested in people and culture and just seeing the world. I wanted to get out of my bubble that I was in and just experience a lot of things. So I kind of made that a focus early on in my life, and I was able to live in Asia and Europe, and I travel quite extensively to South America since my wife is from Brazil. So it's been a, it's been a great journey so far. Awesome. Uh, what do you think you really picked up from being able to visit all these different places? Like, do you think that helped you have a more culturalized viewpoint of the world? Do you think that affected your career in any way to make it a little bit easier to do your profession? Or um, what does it really do when you travel around the world? I'm just asking because I've stayed in LA most of my life and, you know, I'll take maybe like a week in Mexico, but it's just a week, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, it's been, there's quite a few things that I feel I've learned, and I don't feel you can't learn them without traveling. Most people probably do learn them eventually. It's just, I feel the way I learned them had a, a, a strong impression on me. One of those is that everybody or every human is an emotional being, an emotional creature, and the way we express those emotions might be different, but we all have the same basic needs and desires. And just understanding that about people and humans and just seeing how they live their life just opens your eyes to that there's not only one right way to do something most of the time. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially since uh, different cultures out there do things in a different way. But fundamentally, it's all for the same reason. So if you're doing something one way, it could work well for one particular audience, but it could completely turn off another audience. Now, as, exactly. a revenue, as a revenue leader for your company, um, you have to go out there and you have to figure out how to really go out there and drive more revenue, which means you have to talk to various different audiences within uh, your market, right? Correct. Yeah, it's 100% true. We have, and within our, so we have different countries that we have to sell into and we have different, um, I guess you could say, company sizes that we sell into. And on top of that, you have different users who have quite different cultural experiences of who they are, whether it's sales reps who are very, in general, they're more outgoing and they're more just task-oriented of getting the job done, or you have operations people who are looking for efficiencies. They come, even if they're maybe living in the same city, they grew up in the same state or same town, they have different experiences of how they view the world. And understanding that just because someone might look or talk the same as someone else, that they have very different experiences, 
kind of helps you tailor your message and helps you understand, I guess, where they're coming from so you can help provide the best solution for them. Yeah, definitely, especially since you're working um, across not just the country but the entire world. You really have to deal with a lot of different people. And I know a lot of people out there, they're probably thinking, you know, sales, I've heard of that thing before. I saw that high-pressure sales consultant come in who really wanted to help me go out there and, like, make a compelling message. And I don't know, a lot of people just don't really relate to that anymore, do they? I mean, do do, do people really want to get boxed up into the corner to buy that $50,000 item? and kind of feel like they're forced to buy it? Like, is that something that people like? (laughs) Of course not, no. Everybody hates being sold, but everybody loves to buy. So Mm -hmm. it's finding that balance and finding what drives that person, both emotionally, spiritually, and as far as their physical needs are concerned. Putting that all together kind of can help you sell better. But yeah, nobody wants to be sold to. That's Nobody likes that feeling, and that's what creates buyer's remorse, and that just creates yucky, sticky, icky feelings inside after you've been sold or been pressured to buy something. Yeah. I bought a few things, and I felt buyer's remorse, but that was only because it cost more than I thought I could afford. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Shouldn't have spent $5,500 this weekend shopping. What did I buy? How am I going to pay for all this? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Think for a term policy, right? Be sold in that way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, and I think part of it's like, like especially for your kind of industry, having that buyer from Morris doesn't really come into play because there usually aren't um, things where you could turn it back, right? Um, well, they can't turn it back, but they can end a contract and they can go with yeah. someone else, right? So you want to keep that relationship strong. It's and often. The reason those sticky or high-pressured sales or those bad-type sales tactics came about was because they were selling products where they didn't have a long-term relationship with the buyer. And what that created was whatever it takes to get the job done or whatever it takes to make the sale, I'm going to do it. And it kind of was a self-serving purpose. It's, it's basically if your job or paycheck is tied to getting, making something happen, you ignore lots of the negatives of making it happen because it's tied to your livelihood. And that happens in every profession, not just sales, but it's especially true in sales because it's such a more public experience. Yeah. So basically what happened is Mm -hmm. all these people were like, how do I make a quick buck? If I sell this item, I'll never have to deal Mm -hmm. with the person again. So they created these high-pressure tactics. But then like most businesses don't have this um, uh, your one-and-done model. Like if you're selling like um, a transcription service, you probably want your people to keep coming back and buy more transcriptions off you. If you're going out there and you're selling a car, you probably want to be the person who like maintains the car too. So like these short-term relationships are really short-term. And also if they have to repair the car down the line, you want to make sure the next car they get is the same kind of car too. So yeah, um, that's what's 100% the true. What's the solution for all this? Because it sounds like a huge problem where, like, I mean, like, I could go and spend $50,000 on the high-pressure sales training then learn all this stuff and go close clients, but then now when I'm servicing their accounts, they're all angry at me. Exactly. <laughs> so what's a real solution? <laughs> well, lots of times the corporations have different goals than the salespeople, and so you get what you pay for, or what gets rewarded gets repeated, right? Mm-hmm. So... The corporation wants repeat business, 
but the salesperson doesn't get paid for repeat business often. They just get paid per sale, right? So often compensation isn't aligned with corporate goals or aligned with customer outcomes. And that's a big problem. And so that's, there's probably no right answer to how to solve it, but that would probably go a long way is when you align the compensation to the desired outcomes. So instead of like paying someone like five grand up front for selling XYZ uh, service, splitting that up until maybe like $400 a month for as long as the person's on the contract, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a great example. Oh, huh. interesting. Yeah, I could definitely see that really helping a salesperson be more driven and more inclined to stick around to look for the long-term goals and everything. But like, let's say that does happen and um, <clears throat> that moves out of the salesperson's hand and into like an account executive's hands. And now that account executive kind of like messes something up, that salesperson's income is kind of at jeopardy too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that team-based approach can be sticky if you if, if you don't trust your teammates for sure, <laughs> or if yeah. they mess it up and then it's your fault. So that's why there's no perfect solution yet unless you totally trust everybody on your team. Right? Well, it really comes down to maybe culture, right? Yeah. Yeah, and the bigger your company gets, the the more you, you, you can scale. It's good for lots of the owners, but often it's not the best situation for the customer all the time or or people in various positions based on they lose their ability to control what happens to the client. They lose some of that relationship because instead of being able to be part of the whole life cycle of managing the client from the sale process to the execution, the delivery, and then the customer care follow-up, they've been pigeonholed into a role, and so they don't have control over what happens after. And when companies work in silos, and that's just not in sales, in any company, when you work in silos and you don't see what happens outside of your tiny little role, then you often, you're not paying attention to it, you're not thinking about it, and so you do things that only benefit your specific role, and in the end, it could you have unintended consequences where you could cause a lot of damage, and yeah, that happens all the time. Yeah, so definitely uh, one of the major factors here sounds like uh, most companies work in silos, and what really needs to happen is those silos kind of need to be broken down. There needs to be more transparency within the company, and uh, teams need to like operate together, kind of like in a change management type of uh, environment where people are driving change, they're working more nimbly, and they're working more like um, a small, tight-knit team as opposed to like a big organization that just sections everything off. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. But that's not people's job descriptions typically, and that's most companies don't want to work that way because it's too hard to manage or what they would say to gauge or measure performance if they don't have specific measurables and desirables that are hard to break down onto an individual level. And it still goes back to the company culture, like you mentioned earlier, where if you can't manage something, if you can't write something down and control it, they feel you can't actually enforce it or encourage it. And so they... No matter how lofty a company starts, most of them break down and go back to, okay, this is your job, this is what you're going to do, and this is how I'm going to grade you. So if everything really kind of defaults back to that normal foundation of a company, kind of building everything out into silos, is there really a solution that could be generated from this situation, or is it just something that's just going to be a problem that companies just have to deal with from here on out? 
Well, so the problem, I think, will always be there, but if companies are aware of it, you can focus on it. Just like the, the problem of some customers leaving you will always be there. The problem of always having to generate new business is always going to be there. So having problems isn't necessarily a bad thing, and often you can turn those problems into strengths if you are aware of them. So just being aware that that's the cycle or the tendency allows you to focus on it. And even if you just focus on it a little bit, you're probably going to be a lot better than your competition because you're actually focusing on it and your customers will appreciate it. And over time, it's just you'll create a better experience. So, yeah, will there ever be a final solution? Maybe, maybe not. But in the meantime, you can still do your best, I think. Yeah, that definitely makes sense, especially if you're uh, trying your best. You're really going out there and trying to make something work. And you're giving uh, employees a lot more flexibility within what they're doing in their different roles so they could work and intertwine more together. Um, yeah. Like, for this whole process, like, have you seen it successfully successfully work for a company where com- uh, where the silos were broken down and things were more seamless? Yeah, I've seen it work with smaller companies. I've yet to really experience it with larger companies, and I've worked for large companies and small companies and mid-sized companies, so I've seen how it's been approached, and I've definitely seen in small companies it's easier, but that's because the whole company maybe has less than 200 employees, and so you're allowed to or able to kind of focus on the, the objectives and the mission, and you're not fully scaled yet, and so everybody kind of has to throw their hat in and help where they can. And I've seen it work in those situations. As far as breaking down silos in major companies, I have yet to see it work successfully. Interesting. Well, this is a lot of great information. We're about to hop off to a commercial break. You can find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter. Where could people find you? Um, yeah, Mario McCracken is my name. I'm the only Mario McCracken in the world with an E, M-A-R-E-O. So you can find me on LinkedIn, and that's probably the best place to find me. Perfect, and we'll be back after this commercial break. Thank you. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. It's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Want to improve your health, business, and life just by listening to a radio show? Well, we can at least move you in the right direction. Listen for Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. Each week, Allison will speak with amazing guests and find out what's changed their lives and how they are changing the lives of others. From beauty to health to business and personal relationships, we're here to inspire you to live your life of passion. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers channel hear the stories be motivated be inspired join us today voice america influencers this is grow your influence tree to reach leonard kim or his guest call into the program at 1-866-472-5795 That's 1-866-472-5795. 
or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Leonard Kim back here with Mario McCracken. If you tuned in for the first segment of this uh, episode, you really got the understanding of how to go out there and understand how businesses work when it comes to sales and the different problems and struggles that they face. Now, you're probably listening to this episode either as a business owner or as someone who wants to go out there and generate more income for yourself. And either way, you have to kind of know the fundamentals of how to really go out there and communicate with your audience. And if these high-pressure tactics of the past aren't working anymore, there has to be tactics that's going to work with you. Uh, Mario is going to drive into some of these strategies where you can really go out there and sell to your audience without selling like in the olden days or the high-pressure sales. Uh, Mario, what would you say are some of the best tips to really go out there and generate sales? So I guess when, you, when you're trying to generate sales, I, I've noticed that whether it's selling to individual consumers, selling to small businesses, selling to major enterprise clients, the number one reason people don't buy from you isn't because maybe they don't have the money or isn't because they don't need your product or isn't because any of those reasons. It's actually because they don't trust you. Hmm. And that's the first main problem that everybody encounters. If they don't trust you, they're not going to buy no matter how good or perceived value you could create for them. So how do you kind of generate this trust with people? (laughs) So it's a a long, complicated process usually, but for people to trust you, the first step is you actually have to believe in yourself and in your product, and that's very transparent. You can always tell if someone is just selling you to sell you or they really believe that what they're saying and what they're doing is going to change your life, right? So Mm -hmm. that trust, you first have to trust yourself, really. If you don't trust yourself and deep down believe in yourself, you never should be selling and nobody's going to believe you either. But then real trust has usually two parts to it or two components. It's the integrity portion where they trust what, you, that you're, what you're saying is honest and then they trust the second portion is your ability or capability. So they trust your, maybe let's say your skills or your ability to deliver and then your integrity as well. So the moral side and the capability side. And that came from uh, Stephen Covey, but the, those two types of trust have to be developed, and developing them often takes a lot of time. Of course, there's instant trust where people just look you in the eye and they say, okay, I trust him, but they hear your story and they say, okay, he's been there before, she's been there before, I can trust him. But often it comes down to multiple factors, but that first foundation is you have to believe in yourself first. Hmm. So if you believe in yourself and you believe in your product, then what happens is in your voice and your actions and your eyes and everything that you do, people are able to actually sense that. Yeah, exactly. And that drives the second reason why people don't buy is because you didn't connect with them on an emotional level. And so in order to get to that level, it's not just about using emotional words, like saying the, the things that are a hot topic right now. It's connecting because you're curious enough and it's relevant to them and you find why it's relevant to their current needs and how those needs then are affected emotionally. So lots of people talk about money, but money could drive the reason for many, many people. Some people want money so they can support their family, which is nice. Some people want money so they can help other people. Some people want money so they can do different things and experience the world. So the money isn't the reason. It's the emotion or the why behind the money. And if you don't have a desire to understand and you don't listen well and you don't connect what you're doing with their relevant emotion, you're never going to be able to, 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 to connect enough for them to purchase from you. 
So really, it's not going out there and figuring out how to actually do something. It's more figuring out the underlying reason of why someone actually would need to uh, have the product. Yeah, because most products, now I, would, I would say everything I've seen, people know what their problem is and they know kind mm-hmm. of what functionality and features they want, even if they don't know exactly the details. And that's whether that's a self-education course on how to lose weight or if that's a complex computer software system that's going to help people manage their inventory. Right? It doesn't matter what it is. People kind of know the basics. But yeah. what, they, what you have to connect with is what's the pain that you're solving and not just the pain in the terms of dollars and cents and actual what you can put on paper, but what is the result of that pain. And that's where that emotional connection comes in. That, that makes a lot of sense, but then let's look at the enterprise level. Let's say um, the person who just runs some marketing stuff in the business, you're calling me about a service, and I'm looking at that service, and I'm like, okay, if it generates the company more money, it doesn't really make me more money. I don't know if I really care about that that much. If it costs <laughs> the company money, you, you know, like you're in that position where you could care, but then you uh, it's a lot harder to create that emotional connection because it's like, how much does this person care about their company? Um, this software or the service, is it really going to move the needle? Would that lead to this person really getting promoted? Probably not. Y- you know, like those kinds of situations, like how do you draw that connection there? Yeah, that's a big problem. And it's, and that's the number one thing people who buy things try to hide, right? They try to pretend or they try to close all the doors to their emotional connection. They want everything black and white. They say, okay, thanks for the call. Send me some information. I'll look it over and I'll make a decision because they want to be logical people, right? They don't want to make emotional decisions. And yeah. so just even breaking that barrier is super hard. Even though we know that people make decisions emotionally and justify them with logic, not the other way around. And so in, in order to get there, of course, to open any door, you have to show and prove value first. That, that's the basic foundation. If they don't see a value in speaking with you at all, you'll never break through. So you can't drive straight into the emotion, but that's where being curious separates the people who sell the best, whether they're actual salespeople or they're business owners or they're just entrepreneurs who have maybe a life-changing course that they want to sell. Whatever they're trying to sell, if they're curious enough to find out what that per- what's really driving that person, then they'll take the time to do it. And they might have to try hundreds of different ways. They might have to do a lot more research about their buyer and see what that buyer likes on Facebook or see what that buyer is actually doing on LinkedIn and what kind of articles they like and what kind of articles they write and to understand what's actually motivating that person and then finding ways to connect it. But I think being curious is the way to to really overcome that. Awesome. Then there's the other side of it. This person who's been sitting at this company saw three demos for very similar products you know your product's a lot better, but then they're just not really giving you the time of day because they're like, oh, you're just like everyone else. <laughs> yep. How do you really get through that? Yeah, there's a lot of problems because there's so many similar experiences. So the customers have to believe a few things. And that goes back into trust and belief, right? But they have to believe that you're going to be able to deliver. So they just have to trust you. First, okay, what they say is true. Maybe all these customers, maybe all these products are the same, but I believe this company can deliver. They have to believe that you are going to guide them down the right path. And the days of just being a vendor and giving somebody a solution are numbered. They're not going to be around for very long. People want partners and people want people that can say, hey, I'm going to give you the solution, but also I'm going to help you navigate the future pitfalls and the future roadblocks that you're going to have because of my experience and my industry knowledge and where 
I'm placed and positioned as a company or as an individual entrepreneur, I'm going to be able to help you. And you're going to have to prove that. And often, one of the only ways to prove that is with testimonials or outside resources where it's not you saying it, but anytime someone else talks about you, it's 100 times more beneficial than you talking about yourself, right? And so it's finding a way to position the right people, the right testimonials, the right resources in front of your client. And then they have to believe that your technology is okay and that you have the desire to help them and all those different things. But basically, it all comes down to believe and what they believe. And so if the products are the same, if the customer doesn't believe that you're the best solution, and what's best to them might be different than the next customer you're selling to. So still, that comes back to curiosity where you have to figure out what do they need to believe and what do I need to show them so that way they can trust me. Oh, interesting. That's a pretty good way to approach it, especially if they're having difficulty with the buy-in. Now, a lot of people out there, like, let's say they're able to drive that human connection and they're able to, like, connect with what people really want. Like, um, maybe it's someone who wants to lose weight and you convince them that cookies aren't the solution, even though cookies are really good (laughs) and But let's say you got them uh, convinced that they could buy into you, they could trust you, and that they could um, see you deliver on your product. Like, um, how how do you get them to actually move forward to buy? Like, I mean, we're in this new age, like, where people are like, yeah, if you want it, just let me know. And then I think a lot of people take, like, this lax approach to things. And then, like, they'll follow up with someone maybe a few weeks later, and they're like, oh, yeah, I decided to go with someone else. So we know the hard sell doesn't really work, and we know if we let people make their own decisions, um, that could probably not work, too, depending on how lax you are. So how do you really drive that sale? So you framed it perfectly. You can't be a hard sale. You can't try to do manipulative pressuring techniques, and you can't just wait for people to come through your door. And that's actually the third reason people don't buy is because your call to action is not effective. Um, And half the people don't even have real call to actions. They just say buy now, which nobody just wants to click a buy now button, right? Or they, unless you're on Amazon, and that's the only, the only, only reason you're actually there is to buy now. So that works for Amazon. But for most companies... Your call to action has to be very, very specific, but it can't just be, hey, buy this three-day course and it'll change your life. It has to be a transformative call to action where what are they going to get? What's the real value they're going to get if they buy the course? So buy this three-day course and you will lose lose the weight you require that you want to lose. So, and then the so has to be something that is their inspiration or their why so you can fit into your bathing suit. Without, stop, without not being able to eat cookies, right? So you have to be able to give them their pleasure without the pain that they're afraid of and in, in a very specific manner in your final call to action. And that can be the same with individual sales or even on the complex sales. If you're selling a software solution, you need to be able to convince your customer that they're going to get the return on investment that they desire without frustrating their IT department or without whatever the current pain is that they're facing right now. So if you can give them the pleasure with the pain and actually say that specifically, then the call to action actually might make sense. That makes a lot of sense. But then there's like industries, like let's say you have some program on like how to make like money in the stock market or something, right? Or cryptocurrency or whatever, uh, something where there's like this um, get rich quick factor. And you're like, if you get this course today or get this course today and you'll be able to go get your Lamborghini, da, 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 da. Like, doesn't that like kind of like blow things out of proportion? And then like, 
even if the person really wants a Lamborghini, like, can't that be seen as, like, you know, like, a little too much? Like, a little cheesy? Of course, maybe? yeah. And that's why you have to go past the motive, the the initial on paper motivation. So even if they want the Lamborghini, what what do they want that Lamborghini for? Right? Is it yeah. to feel respected, or is it to prove their worth, or is it to show everybody how far they've come? You have to figure out what that Lamborghini is for, and the why behind the why, right? And that is what you need to hit on. So. Instead of promising that they're going to be able to get the Lamborghini if they take this course, say you'll find, or say something to the effect of you'll finally get the respect you deserve and that you know you've already earned. Now it's just time to show it, right? Mm-hmm. Something to the effect where it promises everything without breaking any laws. Like you can't yeah. return, promise a return on investment on almost any product you sell because it's illegal to do that, especially in the financial market, right? So, yeah, yeah there's just you have to Let's get like your emotional state. Sorry, I missed what you said? Oh, I said, unless you like handcuffs. <laughs> yeah, unless you want to go to jail, right? <laughs> yep, unless you want to, which I'm, I'm sure no one here does want to do that, right? <laughs> yeah. So you have to be very careful what you promise. And, of course, you have to encourage people to chase their dreams. And anybody that – so people connect when you encourage people to chase their dreams, when you hide them from their faults, where you take the blame off them. So lots of people aren't successful or as successful as they want to be. And so by telling them they're not successful, they don't like you, right? But if you say, hey, I know you haven't been as successful as you want to be, but it's not your fault, then they'll automatically start to trust you and want to be on your side. So, and then if they have enemies or problems that have stopped them in the past, instead of saying, hey, don't be a victim, man up, you can, t- you can encourage them and say, hey, yeah, that person, that's not a good person. Yeah, it's, it's a shame what they did to you, but... It's not your fault. We're going to help you. We're going to encourage you. And then we're going to show you the path. And then that's a way to really get people to, to trust you and start believing in you as someone that can lead them to their destination. Hmm. Interesting. So basically what you have to do is you have to let them know that their struggles aren't their own fault, even if it is. <laughs> yep. And let them know that if something bad happened to them that, um, <clears throat> and it was due to an outside party, then that's also not their fault. But there's a way for them to really get out of it. And what you're really doing is you're showing them a way out. Exactly. Yep. And everybody wants to be led. That's why mm-hmm. we have presidents of companies, why we have presidents of companies, countries. That's why we have leaders in the military. That's why every basketball team has a captain. People want to be led. Even if you're a leader naturally, you still look to other people to lead you in times of need when you need a mentor, you need. And so finding a way to lead someone that wants to be led is the sh- It's kind of like what Zig Ziglar says. Zig Ziglar says when, if you help enough people get what they want, you'll always get what you want. And lots of people want to be led in different situations. And so that's how you just have to find a way to position yourself as a leader that can help people. And as long as you focus on them and their wants and needs, you, you often can be able to do that. A lot of people who hop into business for the first time, like they, they kind of want to lead, but I don't think they know how to lead. Like how do they really <laughs> want to do that? Yeah, that's a big, huge problem. And that goes back to the belief in themselves thing. If they have the desire, but they don't know how to do it, they have to study it. It just comes back to, do you really believe that you're a leader? Because if you don't believe you're a leader, you need to start taking action to prove that you're a leader. Because lots of people try to think themselves to success. And I know Think and Grow Rich is a great book and has a lot of good points, but you're never going to think your way 
out of a current situation. The only way you're going to get out of a current situation is to act your way out of a current situation. And the confidence cycle or the achievement cycle says that if you take action, you get results. And then based on those results, you can either take more action or change your action. And that's how you create real confidence. And that's how you create the ability to do things is you have to keep taking action and then adjust your methods, adjust your path along the way. And so it's not about thinking that you're a good leader. It's about taking actions and finding out what do leaders actually do or what do the people in my space that I want to become like do, then taking those actions and seeing what works for you and what doesn't. And that's really the only way to go from not being a leader to becoming a leader is to find ways to lead. And, yeah, you might fall on your face, you might fail, but every step forward, as long as you adjust and take, and and use reflection and think about what happened, it can be a, a stepping stone to grow farther. So thinking isn't going to get anyone to leadership. It's by going out there and acting. You know what else you can't do while you're thinking? What? Fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the hardest thing to do. It's like, okay, you need to turn off the brain. Sometimes you just have to go out there and you just have to act. You have to turn that brain off and just act and get out there. And just like yeah. how, how at times you really need that great night rest and you need to just shut off your brain and go do something about it to get to bed, it's kind of the same thing yeah. with leadership. Like um, if you don't know what to do, stop thinking and go out there and make a leadership act. Just go do something and see how people react. And as time goes by, you'll either get worse or you'll get better. But chances are you'll probably get better because um, you're looking at your mistakes and you're seeing how you can really improve upon that and really communicate a stronger message. Exactly. <laughs> 100% right. Yeah, your brain solves things and solves problems for you when you are doing other things. And that's why lots of times people get their the inspiration strikes when they're in the shower or when they're not thinking about their current problem because the subconscious brain has been working on it in the past. I mean, in the background this whole time while they haven't been consciously thinking about it. But if you constantly only focus on what you on waiting for your brain to catch up and you're waiting for your subconscious to give you an answer, you're never going to get anything done. So the best thing to do is just to start doing stuff, like you said, and take action and start doing stuff, and eventually you'll get the inspiration you need. And in the meantime, you'll have done quite a bit, and you'll have taken action, and you'll learned a lot, and you'll be able to help other people. You know, all my great ideas start once I start putting the shampoo on my hair, but once I turn off the water, <laughs> they're gone. <laughs> I'm like, you wow, need a water that went way fast. Something. <laughs> Maybe not water. It's like, here you go. Here's all your ideas at once. But once you turn me off, I'm taking them all away. So grab your cell phone while you're showering and type it in. Yeah, you need to put your cell phone on record while you're in the shower. And then you get an idea, just start talking out loud. Oh, that could work, too. Well, we're about to hop off to another commercial break. You can find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter. Uh, where could everyone find you again? Uh, just on LinkedIn. Mario McCracken is the best way to find me. M-A-R-E-O. Mario McCracken. Perfect, and we'll be back after this commercial break. Thank you. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. I'm busy and so is my family. Leftover pizza and unhealthy takeout isn't really doing it for us anymore. Just ask my bathroom scale. That all changed when I found Freshly. For less than $10 a meal, Freshly delivers six meals a week, always fresh, never frozen, prepared by top chefs and nutritionists 
using the best, freshest, gluten-free ingredients. The best part is the menu is always new and fresh, just like the food, and it only takes three minutes for me to prepare breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and there's no messy cleanup and no dishes. My family loves the choices and the taste and freshly delivers to my home and my office so I eat healthy all day every day. If you're tired of the same old cardboard delivery and takeout, try out Freshly.com today and save $20 on your first order using coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Your taste buds and your scale will thank you. So save 20 bucks today with coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. This is Grow Your Influence Tree. To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey everyone, Leonard Kim here, back with Mario McCracken. If you've listened to any of this episode in the beginning, we first talked about the difficulties of how to really get sales and drive salespeople within uh, different organizations, anywhere from the individual to small to big companies. Then what we moved into the next segment is really how to go out there and sell yourself and go out there and be an individual and either be a business owner or an individual who has something to sell and how to get that out there effectively without going out there and making big promises, without um, being a bully and pushing people into buying something. And now what we're really going to be doing is we're going to be switching this a little bit and uh, talking about how influence really plays a role on sales and how to really go out there and build your so you could drive more sales for your business. Uh, Mario, what's the importance of influence when it comes to business? So, a million impressions and millions of reasons why it's important, but influence is basically the ability to help other people see things in a certain way, where they trust Mm -hmm. you enough to say, okay, what he said could be true. So, I'm going to listen to what he says, and then that guides people's decisions. So influence is really just helping people make decisions, whether you want them to change their decision, keep them on a current decision, or just trust you enough that whatever decision they're going to make, if if you say something or you do something or you encourage something, that they'll respect it enough to at least consider it. And so some people, of course, have more influence than others. And there's lots of different kinds of influence. There's forced influence. There's Um, influence that you follow someone or you listen to them because you love them, like a spouse or a family member, or and then there's earned influence, and that's where because of your expertise and because of how you're perceived in the industry or in the media or however you're perceived, then whatever you say is taken as truth. And so influence in all situations, whether it's with your children or your colleagues or clients, it's it's very important to work on developing your influence, I think. So... Influence is a pretty important category. I, I've seen how influence has directly impacted my life and made that change. But I've seen people out there talking about like being on like influential lists and things like that. And they say that has made no direct impact on their life. And for me, I, I feel like they're lying or I feel like they <laughs> just don't know the true influence of what it really does. But is it possible for influence to not have a factor on your career? 
Oh, for sure, if you don't use it. Just like you could work for one of the greatest companies in the world, and if you don't take advantage of the training that they give you, you just missed out on tons of opportunity. Or if you don't take out, if they offer you an expat assignment, you don't take it. You just missed out on anything you could have learned while you were on that expat expat assignment. So yeah, there's lots of reasons where even if you're influential, but you don't respect that influence or you don't honor that that the influence that you've been granted just because of a few certain maybe lists that were created or an article that went viral or something that happened, then yeah, you could miss out on the influence um, fruit for sure. So basically what they're doing is they think that they're better than whatever list that's made, even if they're on the list or something. They're just looking down upon it. Because they're looking down upon it and disrespecting it, they're not reaping the benefits from it. Yeah, yeah, that could be a huge reason why they don't they don't respect it. They don't think it's important. Or they don't, in general, understand that yeah, maybe today they don't need to influence people in that much of a situation because their current exact job role is one thing. But who knows two, three years down the road what they're going to need to do or how their career might change or if there's going to be layoffs at their company or if the industry totally changes. So you never know what could happen. And you just, I guess it's just being prepared and taking advantage of what um, life gives you. Hmm, interesting. Now, a lot of people who are on the who listen to this show, one of the key things that they want to know is how to really go out there and build that influence. You named a lot of different ways to have influence, whether it's forced influence or whether it's earned influence. What what's the best way to earn that influence? Um, there's oh, that's a huge loaded question. So, it really depends <laughs> on what you're trying to accomplish. But I've never found it wrong to go out and help people first. Mm-hmm. And then, based on who responds to your help, you know where you can spend your time focusing. Um, if somebody doesn't respond to you helping them, then there's obviously no reason to keep helping them, and they're not, and it's, they're not respecting what you're doing. And so I think the, the initially helping people is the best way to grow your influence. So one of the things that I guess helped me, a personal story, is there was a writer on Inc. that I really respected, And so I said, you know, I'm just going to start helping him because I respect what he's writing. So I started sharing his articles, quoting him a lot more, sharing just a lot more of his stuff, not tied to anything that I'm doing, but just sharing it to help him, right? And to to encourage other people to read him and sending private emails to people saying, hey, I think you should follow this guy and just helping as much as I could. Eventually he noticed and then he reached out and that created a lot of other opportunities and open doors when the initial objective was to help because I respect it, right? And so this mm-hmm. influencer I respected, and in turn, it helped me help other people. So I think that one of the best ways to in- grow your influence is to help people that you know are people that you trust and follow. So basically, if you go out there and you try to help other people, other people will be able to let you know whether by how they react, whether they respect what you do or not. And if people are like, no, stop helping me for this, that means you're probably not good in that particular area. But if more people say, help me in uh, this other thing, then that's probably where your core expertise lies, right? Exactly, yeah. And you find out what people want. You could be have the most expertise in the world in what type of trampoline works best, right? But if people don't care about that, then why would you keep forcing that on people? And that's what a lot of experts do. They force what they're passionate about because everybody talks about finding your passion and all that stuff. But it's not about you. If you really want to influence people, you have to constantly think about them and put their needs and wants first. And once you do that, you'll stop selling, trying to 
influence people by telling them what the best trampoline is if what they really want is just to know which Netflix program is the best one to watch next week, right? They just want to be told every week what Netflix program to watch. I actually saw an email list of that where somebody just spends all their time watching Netflix and then every week sends out what the best thing to watch on Netflix is. And that's what some people want to watch. And it's, he's grown quite an impressive list just telling people what to watch. And it's because that's what people want. And he's helping people because then they don't have to spend that time doing it. So, yeah, it's just about thinking yeah, about other pretty, people and what they want. It's pretty frustrating clicking on Netflix going, what am I going to watch <laughs> next? It's really, really frustrating, actually. Maybe I yeah, should sign up for his list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, when you're going out there and helping people, you get a real core definition of what you're doing, which, one, really helps you out overall in your entire business because a lot of people are going out there and preaching what they think the market wants, but they don't actually know what the market wants. So if you're having difficulty figuring out what the market actually wants, this is the best way to really go out there and figure it out because you could really get the immediate feedback and see if people really do want your help. Because if you're like, hey, I'll help you with your trampoline, and you're sending that to 100 people, and no one responds back, then guess what? No one really cares. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah. And not exactly. caring, that's a problem in itself, right? That means you, you have to go and find something else that you can help people on. Yeah, and when people don't care about you or what you're doing, that's worse than being hated, right? Because <laughs> if you're hated, you at least have the exposure where you can change and change perception and start helping. But if you're just not cared about or not relevant, that's probably the worst situation you can be in. Yeah, and the other side of being hated on is when people hate on you and they're like, oh, that technique's not so great. But then they're just mad because you're making millions of dollars while they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So hate isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. So you move from one, you go out and see how you can help people. That's how you start to really build your influence. What's, what do you think the next step would be? So after you're done helping people, you have to give people a chance to get to know what you stand for and what you do, right? Mm -hmm. And so you don't trust someone until you feel like you know them. So that's why maybe lots of uh, um, actors and actresses, even though nobody actually has met them and maybe they don't even write blogs or anything, but just because there's so much in the media about them, people feel like they know them and that's how they connect with them. And it's the same with business leaders. CEOs of companies get a lot of influence, one, because they have the prestige, the power, and the money, but the second is because there's so much available information about them, people can connect with them. If there's no information about you anywhere, nobody can connect with you. And so if people aren't writing about you or talking about you, you need to do that for yourself in a non, of course, bragging, egotistical way. But if people can find your story and find out who you are, they're much more likely to connect with you. And once they connect with you, then they can begin to trust you. So basically what you really have to do is pave down your narrative and build out connection points and really tell a story from who you were to how you got to where you are today, what you stand for, why you chose this career path, what you did in college, all this other stuff, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And your journey, you can make it as long or as short as needed and as relevant to a specific audience that you want to talk to. But yeah, your transformation or transformative journey is important for people to hear and see and feel and connect with. Awesome. So now you got you help people, you figure out what to do to really go out there and get people to connect with you on an emotional level with this bio that really tells who you are and you're creating your own narrative. What really happens next? So that depends on what you're trying to do. 
So if you're trying to build a consulting business, now you have to go take those people that you've already helped and get them to either write write testimonials for you or offer to do free work for people so you can get some testimonials. And once you have a few followers and people that trust what you do, you really need to build a community of people that you can rely on where if you ask them a question, they're going to respond. And that's, so let's say it's a consulting business to small businesses, you can reach out to, let's say, your top 20, 30 people you know and say, hey, can you, do you know any businesses that need this service? Because, you know, as you know, this is what I specialize in. And then if they already trust you and connect with you, then they'll refer business to you. If they don't, then they won't. Or if you're trying to create self-help courses, you need to be able to build enough of a following that where if you send an email to 3,000 people, you can get a 10% response rate where people say, yeah, this is a good idea. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to purchase this. So the next step is to really figure out and define what your vision is. What are you trying to do? Are you trying to sell to individuals? Are you trying to sell something? Or are you not trying to sell yet? Are you just trying to create more influence? And it just, yeah, it really depends on what you're trying to do next. Okay, so let's say you go down that course route, then what you really have to do is you have to start working on building up and generating a bigger list. So <clears throat> when, when it comes time to push something, you have uh, the ability to convert them. Yeah, exactly. And the list isn't to sell people necessarily. That's good to do, and that's the old school way of internet marketing and where people say, oh, if I get a list of 10,000 people, I get a 10% response rate. That's going to be awesome. I'll get 1,000 people to buy my course every time I sell a new course every three months, every six months. That's going to be great. That's kind of the old school method. What you really need that list for is just feedback on what the market wants. Because of Facebook and LinkedIn, you can do enough advertisements where you can sell a great product to many, many people, whether or not they're on a list for you. So there's so many ways to sell a business where nobody actually knows who you are. The influence, though, helps you find out what the market really wants and needs and gives you a support system where no matter what you're going through, you have people you can rely on to give you honest feedback and to help you and guide you and just people that you can get really, really good feedback from of what the market really wants. Awesome. So you're really going out there, you're getting this message out there, and you have all these different ways to really drive traffic. So I think what you really need to do at this point is just figure out where that market lives, right? Are they on LinkedIn? Yep. Are they on Facebook? Are they on Twitter? And just kind of like honing down into like exactly where that target market exists. Yeah, and they have to be passionate about it. So lots of people, let's say salespeople for general, in general are salespeople, many, many aren't passionate about sales. So you don't want to sell a product to salespeople if they're not passionate about it. You need fans. You need fanatical people who are very passionate about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And those are the people that become buyers. And so it's more than just finding where they are and who they are. It's finding out what do they actually care about and what are they willing to change their life over. Hmm. And that's hard to do. Yeah, that's pretty hard to do because that's a small group of people. <laughs> I mean, exactly. I used to do sales, and if you asked me if I was passionate about sales, they'd be like, uh, uh, sales, why are we talking about that? I don't want to talk about that, <laughs> right? Exactly. It's like, yep. yay. Exactly. That's the least most passionate topic in the world. So, yeah, you really have to really figure out what people are, talk are passionate about. But if you talk to me about, like, cookies and cupcakes, maybe I'll have my attention. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and it, and when it comes when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, there's three things that motivate every single person, and some things are they're more motivated by it or not. But it's health, wealth, and relationships. So no matter what anybody's doing, 
it typically revolves around one of those three things, either their health, physical, or mental, um, their relationships, or their wealth, job, career, investing, whatever it is. And so eventually you have to be able to tie back what you're doing and how you're helping back to one of those three main areas. And then from there you can figure out what you want to do and how you want to do it. But it's health, wealth, relationships are the three drivers of most purchase decisions. Last Monday, what we really did is me and my business partner, we set everything up from, okay, what's our target market? Uh, what do they care about? What do we want to deliver to them? How do we tie those messages together? What's the entry point on what kind of content or how they would receive the first entry point? What should be there? What should be on the page? So I, I think you're really laying it down in a great way where people can really understand like how to go out there and generate sales because, I mean, when it comes down to it, you have to know what you're good at. You have to know what you're so you have to know what you're good at so you can develop that product. Once you have that product, yep. you have to really go out there and develop that target market. But what are you going to do with that target market? You have to figure out what they care about. And if it's not just those three things, you could expand upon and figure out what else people want too. And yep. um, th those are the three main things. But you know, people want to laugh. They want to be entertained. They want to feel calm. There's tons of different things that people really want, and you could expand yeah. upon that. And once you have all that down, you can figure out how, what kind of message you want to deliver to them and figure out if they'll be interested in these things. Then once you have those, you can figure out how to tie in what they want into uh, that message that you have. And you could go, oh, look, we could do this by phone. We could do this by a Facebook ad. We could do this by a landing page, a tweet, whatever it may be. And you can figure out all the ways to deliver that message. Yeah, exactly. 100% right. Yep. And you let people buy the way they want to buy. And yep. Yeah, one sec. Exactly. Yep. Then once you have all that, you can deliver them to a specific page that talks about their problem, what they struggle with, um, <clears throat> what you can solve, and how you can be a benefit to them. And then from there, they have a choice to either buy or not. And that's really how you get that conversion. And if they choose not to buy at that time, maybe you could give them something so they could stick around and get more updates from you. Yeah, exactly. You're 100% right. Cool. Any other tips you have? Anything you wanted to close off with? Um, I just care about people more. <laughs> I think <laughs> the, the best it. advice out there care about people more, but that was delivered in a way where it didn't sound like. <laughs> yeah. So, so caring is very important. Like, you really have to go out there and really figure out, like, do you care about what other people do? Because that's really the foundation of everything. Uh, you have to yep. feel what they feel, live how they live, or picture yourself. Okay, picture how they're living. And uh, we're going to be closing out. Once again, thank you so much for uh, tuning in to Grow Your Influence Tree. You can find me at Mr. Larry Kim. And where can you find uh, you, uh, yeah, Mario? Um, Mario McCracken is M-A-R-E-O, MarioMcCracken.com, or Mario McCracken on LinkedIn. I'm the only Mario McCracken in the world right now. So Perfect. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you for making us part of your week. Listen for Grow Your Influence Tree with Leonard Kim every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Stand out, stand apart, and become a top influencer. We'll see you here next week.